And the church said, Amen. 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 I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Why were you glad, David? Because if I can't find joy anywhere else, I ought to be able to find it in God's house. Amen. Amen. If I can't find encouragement anywhere else, I should be able to find it in the house of the Lord. Amen. And we have found joy and worship and encouragement. We want to thank this choir for ushering us into the presence of the Lord. Let's give them another hand. Amen. Amen. We have been for the past six weeks on a marvelous journey that our pastor, George Hinman, uh, has taken us on this journey uh, of of the conviction and the vision of joining Jesus in his mission to reconcile all people unto himself. Uh, What a great vision. God is up to something uh, great. He's up to something marvelous uh, in the life of this church. And I'm so excited that I get to be a participant in what God is doing. Amen. And I'm about to jump out of my skin because God is up to something great. Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. Amen. Well, this Sunday, we're going to be talking about global culture. We have been uh, talking about and fleshing out uh, what it means to join Jesus in his mission Uh, to reconcile all people into himself. And Pastor George has been doing a great job in in getting into the details and to strategically help us to understand uh, that what God is calling us to is nothing new. Uh, It's something that is indicative of our culture here at UPC. Uh, But sometimes God has to help us to understand that We cannot rest on what we have done in the past, but God is often leading us uh, into uncharted territory in this 21st century. And so God is is using our pastor and using the leaders of this church to move us forward on this journey. And, And during this time, we have to live with the tension that even though we can't always see God's hands, we've got to trust his heart. And so that's what, thank you for that amen. And and so we have to trust God. And uh, this message today, I know some of you are asking today, well, how do you get from next door to global culture? I'm glad you asked that question because we're going to unpackage that in this particular passage of Scripture today. uh, uh, We want to take a look uh, in our pew Bibles or on your phones or your tablets, Primarily in our pew Bible is page 997, and we're going to look at Revelations chapter 4, verse 1, and then we're going to take a look and read uh, Revelations chapter 5, verses 9 to 14. If you're able, let us stand for the public reading of Scripture. Revelations chapter 4, verse 1, let us read together. After this I looked. And there in heaven a door stood open, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Amen. Let us move down to 
chapter 5, beginning at verse 9. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne, and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us see, let be seated. We have been on this marvelous journey and really asking the question, what, what does it mean to be next door to students, to be seekers and skeptics, uh, uh, to, to be next door to a new generation as we live out the good news in a way that's inviting and authentic. Jesus forms us as disciples, and our mission begins in our neighborhoods. And brothers and sisters, as we think about what God is doing in our personal lives and in the life of this church, uh, that God is up to something great, and God is intentional, and many times all we see is a snapshot of what God is doing. But every now and then, God allows us to see a bigger picture. And that's what Revelations chapter 4, verse 1, and chapter 5, verses 9 to 14, uh, the curtains of human reality are pulled back. And the Apostle John gets an opportunity to see the big picture. And John invites us uh, to, to join him to see this grand picture of the snapshots that we often see. But God says, I want you to see what heaven looks like when they go to worship. And so here in this particular passage of scripture, we see God uh, showing us uh, what heaven looks like when they go to worship. And so as we think about next door, as we think about being a good neighbor, uh, what we also see is that the little things that we do lead to a bigger reality. Uh, God asks us to be faithful in very little things, uh, but as we consistently and faithfully do the things that God calls us to do, it leads to a greater reality. Now, I like what uh, a great theologian uh, said by the name of George Hinman. <laughs> Dr. George Hinman said, we, we open our lives to the world on our doorstep. We strive to live in time as the church we will be at the end of time. What a powerful word. 
that we strive to live as the church in time what we will be at the end of time. And so that's what Revelations chapter 4 verse 1 and chapter 5 really begins to flesh out what we are called to do and what John really helps us to see is that okay this is what heaven looks like when it goes to worship and this is what the church looks like when it goes to worship and, and there's a dichotomy there which tells us there's some there's some work that we have to do uh, to get to, to mimic heaven and to begin to worship in such a way where, where, where heaven worships and so let us look at this passage of Scripture. Let us look at what John is saying to us. First of all, let us look at verse 1 of, of chapter 4. He says, after this, I looked, and there in heaven stood an open door. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Look at what John says to us, brothers and sisters. He, he's, he's, he's been invited to, to come up to heaven and to see what heaven looks like when it goes to worship. Now, on other occasions, Jesus said the same thing, but he said, come here, or he said, come here, but he, the first time he says, come up here, he says it here in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 4. Come up here. And I believe what Jesus is telling John and he's also telling us is that there is a culture of worship in heaven. Uh, there is a predominant culture of worship and by the time we get to chapter 4, the work of reconciliation has already been done. Uh, by the time we get to chapter 4 and, verse, and chapter 5, uh, uh, the, the work of, of next-door neighboring has already been done. And so we get to the culmination of this in chapter 4, and John begins to see how much the church uh, on planet Earth is out of alignment with the church triumphant in heaven. And so when heaven goes to worship, there is a culture of worship in heaven. And through worship, God gives us a global picture of a greater reality. The culture of worship is, is global, and we're, we will flesh that out as we go through chapter 5, verses 9 through 14, but God helps us to see a greater reality of what he is doing in us and in the world. In a real way, uh, in a meaningful way, worship is a divine invitation to come up here in order that we might go back out there. So every time we come to worship, uh, it's an invitation to come up here in order that we may go back out into our neighborhoods, into our circles of influence, into our communities of friends. Uh, it's, it's an opportunity uh, to go back out there because what worship does, worship does is it helps our orthodoxy to be in alignment with our orthopraxy. It helps our right beliefs if we really believe that God is sovereign, if we really believe that God is 
omnipotent, all-powerful, if we really believe that God is all-seeing, then how does that look in our horizontal relationships with one another? And what Paul, what, what John says here, brothers and sisters, is that when our orthodoxy is right, then our orthopraxy will be right. So the better view we get of God and the better view we get of heaven and the better view we have of worship, it plays itself out in meaningful ways into our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. So John is invited and we are invited to come up here in order that we might go back out there. And so, as we look at what John is saying, he says, the door stood open, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I'm going to show you some things that you've never seen before, but the things that I show you will bring you into alignment with what heaven is like and what the church should be like. I like the way Dr. Rodney Clapp, who wrote a very thought-provoking book entitled A Peculiar People, The Church as Culture in a Post-Christian Society. He argues that Christians feel increasingly useless, not because we have nothing to offer a post-Christian society, but because we are trying to serve as sponsoring chaplains to a civilization that no longer sees Christianity as necessary to its existence. He goes on to say that the solution is not to sentimentally capitulate to things the way they are, nor is it to retrench in an effort to regain power and influence as the sponsor of Western civilization. What is needed is for Christians to reclaim our heritage as a peculiar people, as unapologetic followers of the way. I love the way Rodney Clapp explains this, is that we, we're called to reclaim our heritage as a peculiar people. And this speaks directly to us as a church family that UPC has a great heritage a great heritage of men and women who, on whose shoulders we stand, uh, not to rest on what we have done in the past, but to stand on their shoulders and to see the trajectory of an of a uncharted future that God is leading us toward. And so God is leading us to uncharted territory, and we all play a role in making this vision a reality. Joining Jesus in his mission in, in, to reconcile all people into himself is nothing new. It's a restatement of what God is, has always called us to do. And so I, I want to encourage you today uh, that you are a part. You are not a spectator, but you are a participator in what God is calling us to do. Now, this, the reality of this truth slapped me in the face one day. God sent me a direct message uh, years ago. I'll never forget. It was in September of 2016. And uh, there was a woman who came to the, the former church that I pastored, and uh, she came knocking on my door. 
And this woman was about four foot eight. She was from Pakistan. And she came knocking on my door and she said, Jesus wants me to be baptized. Jesus sent me here and he wants me to accept him as my Lord and Savior. And in her broken English, she began to explain to me what Jesus was doing in her life. And she wanted to be baptized then and there. It, it was a very inconvenient moment for me. <laughs> but most of the times when, when God calls us, it's never at a convenient moment. And at that moment, I had to talk to, call a deacon in the church. I had to talk to the church secretary. And I said, we need to fill this baptismal pool up quick and in a hurry. We want to baptize her right now. Now, I could have been a good Presbyterian and sprinkled some water on her. <laughs> but being the Baptist that I am, I, I had to fill up that baptismal pool and baptize her right there. And there we were. We took this woman from Pakistan and we put a robe on her and baptismal robe on her and we baptized her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that was a special moment because it was only me, the church secretary, and the, and the woman, and the deacon, and we were right there, we were a witness to what God was doing. And it dawned on me, in hindsight, that Jesus sent me a direct message that day to join him in his mission, uh, to join him in his mission to reconcile not all people, but one person to himself. And the story didn't stop there. We later discovered that when she... She was only there for a few weeks and she went back to Pakistan with a newfound faith, but she was in, in a territory that did not, uh, did not welcome Christianity. And so she began to share with her son that she had been baptized and some in that small town began to, began to hear the news that she had been baptized. He hid her for a few days and put her back on the plane and sent her back to Seattle. And there she was, knocking on our door as a church one more time. And she said to us, I need a place to stay. I need a job. And we as a church took her and said, it's our responsibility to take care of her, to give her a hand up. And over a two-year period, she she kept growing in the faith and she kept going to Sunday school and kept going to Bible study and showing up at church every Sunday. And you begin to see the joy of the Lord on her face. You begin to see that God had done a miraculous work in her life. And to this day, she is now doing well. She's up on her own two feet and, and, and she's doing well and she's a part of the family of God because God inconvenienced me that day and I baptized her, and now she's a part of the family of God. Amen, brothers and sisters. So here's the challenge to you today. God is not calling you to single-handedly to reconcile all people into himself. God is calling you to reconcile 
one person in your circle of influence, in your neighborhood, on your job, God is calling you to reconcile or begin to do the work of reconciling one person to himself. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's a culture of worship in heaven, but also there is a culture of worship. And this culture of worship is the culmination of redemptive history. Look at at what he says in in chapter 5, verse 9. 9 through 10, he says, they sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slaughtered and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests serving our God and they will reign on earth. This here is the culmination of redemptive history. The work of reconciliation has already been done in the vision This vision first conveys that to John and to us that the throne of God is the center of reality. And I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it when he talks about this uh, this particular section in his book called Reverse Thunder and the Prayer of Imagination. He says, people who do not worship are swept into a vast restlessness epidemic in the world with no steady direction and no sustaining purpose. And I believe what Eugene Peterson is saying is that we, we were called to worship and, and one writer put it this way that the human heart is an idolatry making factory and so there's something within in us a desire to worship something or somebody. But Eugene Peterson points out here in, in his book that Worship is what Christians do. And and, and worship, when we worship rightly, when we worship correctly, it has a drawing power to bring others into its circumference and circle of influence when we worship God in the beauty of his holiness. Because worship at the end of the day is not what we do on Sunday, but it is a way of life. It is a part of our culture. It's what we do uh, privately. It's what we do personally. It's what we do corporately. And when we come to church on Sunday, we bring into sharp focus what we have done all week long. Amen. Amen. We have worshiped God with our very lives. So John says that when he looked into heaven, he saw the lamb who had taken away the sins of the world. He saw that the lamb was the only one worthy to open the scroll. And he saw people from every tribe and language and people from every nation. And they were made a kingdom of priests serving our God. You know what that tells me? It tells me that that the church is a a little bit of heaven on earth. And that if the world really wants to know what heaven looks like, they ought to be able to look at the church and say, oh, that's what heaven looks like. They're encouraging one another there. They ought to be able to look at the church and say, oh, that's what heaven looks like. They're loving one another there. 
They ought to be able to look at the church and say, oh, that's what heaven looks like. There's no black part of heaven. There's no white part of heaven. There's no Hispanic part of heaven. There's no Asian part of heaven. There's no Methodist part of heaven. There's no Presbyterian part of heaven. There's no Baptist part of heaven. There's no Assembly of God part of heaven. Did I miss any denominations? <laughs> but it's just heaven. It's just heaven. And so in a, in a meaningful way, the church should be working toward that end. The church should be looking at what heaven looks like when it goes to worship and say, we're not, we're not there yet. The church should be able to look at what heaven looks like and say, we're not there yet. That's too much discrimination. We should be able to look at heaven and say, we're not there yet. That's too much racism. We should be able to look at heaven and say, that's, that, that's too much privilege. We ought to be able to look at heaven and say, how do we work toward there and make what's here look like up there? Culture worship is the culmination of the redemptive history that this great field drama that we find ourselves in that the Lord that we serve he's the Lord of the church but he is also the Lord of history and he's working on various ends he's working on political, political ends he's working on economic ends he's working on spiritual ends he's working to make his culture a reality and so, brothers and sisters, not only is this a culmination of redemptive history, but culture of worship, what we see in heaven, is inclusive and responsive. Look at what it says here in verse 11. He says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands singing with full voice. He says, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He said, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne, the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen! 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 Amen. You better practice right now because you're going to be saying amen. amen! We better get used to saying amen. We better get used. We better be practicing because the church God has called us to be practitioners of his grace, practitioners of his mercy, practitioners of his love. And God has called us. We are included in this grand narrative of history. We are included and God wants us to respond in meaningful ways. If it is true that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then we must live out the essence of that reality. I had breakfast with a, a dear friend this past week, and he said something that arrested my attention. He said to me, Aaron, God doesn't waste anything. He said, God doesn't, he doesn't waste 
your struggles. He doesn't waste your pain. He doesn't waste your tears. He doesn't waste anything that you go through. God doesn't waste anything. And this is what revelations tell us, that God is in the small stuff of our lives. And he takes the pain. He takes the, the hurt. He takes, he takes the, the tears. And he brings it to a culmination and says, I hear you. I feel you. And I want you to know that you are included in the grand narrative and the culmination of redemptive history. So I want you to know, I don't know what you're going through today, but just know this. God doesn't waste anything. Just know this. Your tears matter to God. Just know this. Your pain matters to God. Just know this, that whatever you're going through, it matters to God. I heard Paul said that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So he doesn't waste anything. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for you are indeed the Lord of the church. You are the Lord of history. Father, as we walk this journey, may we live with the tension of not totally knowing what you're doing in our lives, but you have given us enough insight and enough revelation to walk with you, dear God, that even though we can't see your hands, to trust your heart today, and we give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.